Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. As always, Ryan Rutan joined by Will Schroeder, my friend and the CEO and founder of Startups.com. Will, we're going to be talking about something that's pretty interesting today, uh, which I think is pretty average for us. But um, it's that there's this notion that um, there are things that we may not be able to achieve or get, and that that's okay. And there was a story that you shared with me I don't know, it's probably been two, three years ago now uh, from some years back. And I think it'd be an awesome way to kick this off. Yeah, no, I I remember it too specifically because uh, you and I, (laughs) uh, we had just moved to different parts of the world. (laughs) Yes, we had. Right, right. Uh, You'd moved to Guatemala. I'd uh, moved to this magical place called Los Angeles. And we'd been there a little bit. My wife and I had settled into a house. We ended up moving into a place in Beverly Hills. It wasn't our first choice, but that's kind of just where we ended up finding a house. And uh, after a couple of years, uh, our family expanded, and uh, we were looking for a new house. So if you recall, I was telling you, I was, we were driving through Bel Air, which is just adjacent to Beverly Hills, still adjacent to our, our kids' school district, yeah, yeah. and we are looking for a house. And uh, all the houses there are wildly different because L.A. is just a very unique place. But we're, we're winding through uh, the hills of Bel Air with our realtor, and, and we're looking at whatever house he's going to show us next. But we end up coming across this house that basically looked like a hotel. <laughs> like I don't know how else to describe it because it was clearly, clearly too big to be an actual house. And it was so big that as we're driving around it, we're trying to find the other end of the house. Yes. <laughs> and it was just massive. So my first impression, and I think my wife said the same thing, is, oh, that's really cool. They're building like a boutique hotel. Right, and it, it was still in the construction phase, so it wasn't well identified yet. Yeah, our, our realtor laughs, and he said, "No, that's Elon Musk's house." Uh, man. <laughs> and I, I mean, it was it was so big that as we were, like I said, driving around it, the house just kept going, and we kept expecting there to be something else to this. Like this, this must be a community of houses. Nope, just one house. I remember you telling me at the time it was like we just spent. 10 minutes driving around Elon Musk's house. And I was like, <laughs> I, and I thought you meant like, you were like, you know, like driving around. And so I was like, oh, like you got to like, they, they like let you on the site. And he's like, no, no. I mean, just like literally just to get around it, the perimeter, like just to pass it. We spent 10 minutes getting around it. Crack me up, man. Yeah. So uh, nice place. <laughs> we're, we're driving around this house and I'm looking at it and I just have this really kind of seminal moment and thought that goes through my head. I look at the house and I say, I can't have that, and that's okay. Now, here's, here's why that's so unusual. You've known me for a long enough time. Those words don't come out of my mouth. Yeah, not very often. Yeah, no, it's not because I can believe I can have everything or that I'm that wealthy. I'm definitely not. It's because for the longest time, I believed I could have anything. Yeah. And I believed that just because I was ambitious, that there would be some series of events that would unfold that would allow those things to happen. Right, But I think what we should talk about today is why those things can't happen in many cases. And not to be downer, right? Just I, we want to talk about kind of the framework for why things do or don't happen and kind of you know how we fit within those levers in that framework. And also why it's okay to be able to say, I can't have that and that's okay. Because there is a very defined moment where not having that just doesn't matter. Yeah, usually the second after you get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true. I mean, I would say the value of anything is the fact that you don't have it. Yeah. I remember 
early in, in, in my life, and I think you could appreciate this, uh, the big thing was to get a 3 Series BMW, right? Beautiful car, yes. by the way. Beautiful car. But I, yeah. I remember driving off the lot with my 3 Series BMW, it was white with a tan leather interior, and feeling like I had just conquered the world, right? Because I thought, like, if, if you got into a BMW, like, you won, Right, yep. like, like you're you're done. You just drive it to your grave, I assume, and could yeah. call it a day. And what shook me was that after I don't know six months a year, it wasn't special anymore. Right, yeah. like I was like, oh, that was cool. I've had that. I've done that. But now that I have it, it's just not special. I still like it. It's still a great car, but kind of the, the magic wears off. Oh man! And at some point, there's not much magic left. <laughs> my my first was. I, I got talked into going like four years older and getting a seven series, right? For oh, it wow. was a, l- a little more money, uh, but it was like a f- it was four years older than the three series I was looking at. Got the seven series, drove it off a lot. Same thing, like just I mean, I remember being so happy. I remember getting it out on Route seventy, and just the faster it went, the smoother it got. It felt like it just kept getting closer and closer to the ground. Just like big, beautiful, powerful car, and then. I had it right, and then I, so some of the magic just went away after after getting it right. But then the real the real turning point for me was people kept asking me if it was if I, if it was my parents' car right because <laughs> I was like I was in my early to mid twenties driving a seven series like it's just it's it's kind of a weird car for you know I had the long wheelbase too so like I should have been sitting in the back seat and somebody should have been driving me around right you were an old so, banker like, in that car basically right and like <laughs> after about the fifth comment I got like that I'm like all right I'm getting rid of this thing it's got to go I, I want to make sure people understand where we're headed with this we're not saying ambition doesn't matter we're saying ambition definitely matters but you can only ambition yourself to so many milestones right, right. There is a threshold at which you will not be building a house that takes 10 minutes to drive around, right? Yeah. <laughs> there are some upper thresholds where ambition alone kind of caps out. And so I'll give you an example. We've met, Ryan, countless ambitious founders. I mean, that's kind of the nature of even being founder. It's kind of, your, of them. you know, co- cost of entry, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is when you see someone build something, like take a Mark Zuckerberg, you take, see Mark Zuckerberg build something and it becomes exponential quickly and you look at that and say, he's so ambitious. What you often forget is that in order for his ambition to hit those thresholds, there had to be a unique series of conditions sure. that allowed that ambition to kind of hit that exponentiality. Yep. And if, if you don't believe it, if you're like, nope, he was just more ambitious than everyone else and that alone got him there then you have to zoom out a little bit and say, you know, not every ambitious person hits it out of the park on their first shot like Zuckerberg did. Yep. There's plenty of ambitious people who were ambitious to build something amazing the first or second time and then whiffed in ginormous fashion. In this case, I'm specifically talking about Quibi with Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. Right? A massive failure. Yeah. However... You cannot question how ambitious, how capable those two are. I mean, I say this with the utmost respect. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to see that fail, and I'm not knocking them. It's an example of how ambition alone doesn't guarantee anything. Anything at all. That's right. Lack of ambition does, right? Lack of ambition <laughs> guarantees that, right? Nothing's going to happen, right? Like that, lack of ambition absolutely guarantees an outcome. Uh, well, yeah, it does. One of several. But but you're absolutely right. You know you can you can only go so far in ambition and and even skill and you know and we've talked about this. 
luck is not the right word, right? There have definitely been lucky moments in my life where I ended up being in the right place at the right time, talking to the right person, and it opened a door. But it's funny that, you know, people who get lucky tend to see those doors and know to open them and then know to walk through and know how to fill the room once they're there. So, but, but to your point, it does take, you know, a set of conditions and most of those conditions are out of our control, right? And it is about kind of maximizing the outcomes of those conditions as they come along. And again, powered by ambition. If you're not ambitious, you'd have no reason to chase those doors down and and to try to fill those rooms in the first place. I think of luck as kind of a negative connotation. I think you do too. Yeah. In as much as luck is what Powerball winners have. When you have, or gamblers, when you have basically little or no control over what the outcome was going to be, yep. and it could have just as soon happened to you as it happened to someone else, right? Yeah. Right. Now, we can say fortunate. You were fortunate that those outcomes came, but you didn't just buy a lottery ticket and it happened, right? Exactly. Mark Zuckerberg was fortunate, but he wasn't lucky. Right, no. It's not like he did the same amount of work as everybody else, but his his just turned into billions of dollars. Now, the other side to that, though, and I think this is the part that is actually missing, and I think this is one of the, the key levers or tenets, you, you cannot have those types of outcomes without often a totally unusual set of circumstances in the form of market timing, in the form of size of market, yep. in the form of access to capital or you know things that you could do that other people couldn't do or access to knowledge. Those things can't be replicated easily. Correct. Right? Going back to the, the Quibi example, the constants there were the leadership. You can make arguments about uh, how they chose to use their, their market approach and everything, but those are all conditions. Right. Right? And there is a limit to which the conditions you're working under or within are going to have those exponential upsides. For example, Jeff Bezos became Jeff Bezos because he has basically an unlimited total addressable market, right? And every time he has a, a new limit, he just buys another market, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So you can become Jeff Bezos uh, or have that level of success, not just from your ambition, but applying to your ambition to a series of conditions that allow it. Yep. If we compare that to, Ryan, what you and I are doing at startups.com, we have a we have a big market, you know, in helping startups, but it's not Amazon's market. Yeah. right. So by definition, in our market, there's some conditions that would limit how good things get no matter how hard we or how hard we work or how ambitious we are. And I guess my point is I don't think people really consider that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I you know, I think that it's it's easy enough to look at and and say that well they, you know, they got lucky or they were fortunate or the, or the conditions just all landed in their favor, but but some of those are decisions, right? Like and and some of those conditions are under your control. Right? The condition that we've set for ourselves that we want to help people, but those people specifically being founders was a condition that we've placed upon ourselves, right? There is a, there is a cost to that condition, um, but there's a benefit to that condition, right? And we've chosen that specifically because that's who we want to work with. That's the, we get joy from helping people, but we get more joy from helping founders. And we believe that that can be our best contribution. Correct. And it, I think what people believe is that it's simply the greatest athlete theory, that if you're the greatest athlete and vis-a-vis you're the most ambitious, then the outcomes come to you in a proportionate way. You know, we should probably kind of dissect that a bit. There are levels to which ambition alone can, can reasonably achieve. So, for example, if you are super ambitious, there's a high probability you can get into a top college. 
Correct. Right? That is a very achievable goal with ambition. You're willing to just work harder than the other people in the room. Yep. And, and that goal is pretty well defined. And if you get all A's and you, and you graduate at the top of your class, you will get to that level, right? The, the conditions are guaranteed. And for the right people, they are very achievable. You get beyond that. And you say, okay, I've left college. Now I want to go make $150,000. There are a million ways to go make $150,000, yep. right? You can, you can work at a countless number of jobs that could get you there. You could start countless number of companies that could get you there. So many ways to get there. And you can ambition your way there, right? You can maybe not the smartest, best conditions, et cetera. You can bulldog your way. What we're really talking about is when you start to get north of there, what are the types of conditions that would allow you to become a millionaire, a hundred millionaire, a billionaire, you know, a 10 billionaire, right? right. That's where the conditions start to change whether that's going to happen at all. Well, the, the conditions no longer truly exist in the same way because what we were talking about before, right? If you talk about an athlete, um, you talk about colleges, you're talking about frameworks that you operate within that yes. are stratified in a specific way where the conditions are known ahead of time. Good point. You know what it takes, right? And, and you know the effort that has to be put in and, and you know sort of the vector that you have to take to get there, right? Once we get beyond these certain points, those become unclear. And, and even in hindsight, if we go back and we try to say, like dissect businesses that have grown and scaled exponentially, it's often hard to put a finger on exactly what it was that did the thing, right? Um, so even in retrospect, through you know the the, the post mortem on these things, whether you're talking about you know success or failure, it's often really hard to put a finger on it because there's no longer a framework. We are outside the framework. We're building something that's never been built before, you know, in a market that may only you know temporarily exist, and so the conditions just are no longer really conditions, right? It, there's, there's no framework to operate within. There's no way to measure yourself against anything else to say that you're even on the right track or, or, or heading that direction. All sense of, of, of directionality is gone. All sense of progress is gone. And you're just sort of in the ether, or as you like to say, you're, you're in the abyss at that point. Right. Remember, too, a lot of these conditions are one-time conditions, Right. <laughs> right. The black swan moments. Right. When Bill Gates started Microsoft and he basically owned desktop software, other than Apple hopping in, there weren't 10 more shots at that, right? Right. Like you were either one of those two guys or you were not. And if you weren't, it was over. And so for many folks, what they don't understand is, hey, I'm as ambitious as Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, but Mark Zuckerberg grabbed on the one lifeboat for that opportunity and there wasn't a second one. And so for a lot of us, we're thinking, how do I get to that level as if we're just magically going to get the same opportunities or timing or anything else that everyone else got? And again, the only thing that was separating us was, was our ambition. You made a good point. In the earlier stages of our success, you know, be it in, in academia or in the early parts of our career, we're in charted waters. It is very clear what you need to do, and you're willing to do it or you're not. Again, ambitious can get you there. I think what we're saying is there's a threshold where you start to go into uncharted waters. And there's no guarantee that the path you take is going to have any deliberate outcome at all. Correct. Take it a step further. There's, there's a cost 
at some point to this, right? We turn the corner from ambition being the thing that drives benefit to ambition actually becoming a cost. And a liability. Right, a liability. You cross that threshold that doesn't necessarily continue to linearly increase, right? There's a diminishing return or there's just a pure uncertainty. We enter a new market, we launch a new product, and all of a sudden, this ambition can start to come at a cost, right? Not just to the company, but and, and actually more so to the founder. Well, you know, that's what I didn't understand early in my career. My, my, I'm guessing you kind of felt the same way, which was I just wanted the outcome. The cost I wasn't really concerned about. Like, I'll just work every hour of every day, seven days a week, because yeah. I want the outcome. We had unlimited time at that point, right? Correct. We're going to live forever. And Correct. And, and life had fewer consequences. We talked about this in a past episode about how over time we start to get bigger and bigger consequences. Yep. And so the cost of ambition starts to become something more than just our time. It becomes our relationships, our families, you know, any kind of financial security we may or yes. may not have, and so on. Uh, not to mention just the cost of not getting that time back, not being able to replicate those, those years. But I think early on, the cost didn't matter because I hadn't paid it yet. So yeah, like I didn't see my friends. You know, I was working while they were doing whatever kids in their 20-year-olds were doing at the time. I wouldn't know because I was busy working the whole time. But it wasn't until I had this like look back moment. You know, I remember when I was like 26 or 27. And at that point, I'd been working nonstop for, let's say, about six or seven years. Um, And I I really mean every waking moment uh, for seven years. So tell me about this going on a date. What is this? (laughs) (laughs) I had had a couple girlfriends early on in partially like in my early 20s. And I remember my girlfriend at some point saying like, you know, I only see you when you come home at midnight and I say goodbye to you at like six in the morning. And like, I actually don't see you at any other times. And you know what? It didn't even occur to me. I mean, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> at, that point, say, you were, at, <laughs> at that point in my life, I would have been thinking, yeah, you do seem to lack ambition. And then I would have walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the time, I was so hung up on what, what ambition could buy me, I didn't yeah. assess the cost. Yeah. But later on, you know, Ryan, I'd look back and I was like, damn, all my friends have memories from college. Yeah. I don't have any memories from college at all. Yeah. Like all I remember is working. My, my stories are literally all about the business. And that's the thing. It's, it's a cost that you do pay um, that you just don't see. And it accrues interest because it also continues to impact you later in life, right? In, in, in some fairly serious ways. I look at some of my other friends who just did the more normal college thing. I wouldn't trade lives with any of them. I love, I love the life that I've built. But I look at some of these groups and I'm like, yeah, when I was building my business, they were all playing Frisbee in the quad. And now they do all get together more often. I'm often invited. I tend to live outside the nation, so um, it's, it's often hard for me to attend. <laughs> but like they get together. They do things. They have closer friendships and, and more meaningful relationships with each other than I do, even though we were all in that same kind of cohort at that time. Um, and so that's, that's a debt that I incurred by spending that time, by being ambitious then, that continues to have a cost right? Like I don't have the same relationships and there isn't a way to recreate that, right? They've got that, you know, band of brothers, sisters, you know, moments where, you know, they, they went through those things together that I just wasn't part of. And so that's a, that's a lingering debt, right? It's something I can't erase. I had a friend of mine that I was talking to a few weeks ago and she's basically like neck deep in, in her business. And she said to me, she's like, uh, she's relatively young. And she said, Hey, 
I've been at this for the last nine months, night and day. I've been working 14 hours a day, uh, nonstop and weekends. And she's like, and, and I can't take it anymore. And like, there's two different versions of how I want to respond, right? There's the old timer version, like, well, when I was your age, I worked, you know, 25 hours a day and that whole yep. thing, right? And then there's the other part of me that's just empathetic, being like, I bet nobody understands what you just said better than I do. Yeah. With that said, the way I responded was this. I said, you're realizing what the cost of your ambition actually is. It's easy to say I want to be ambitious. It's a lot harder when you're actually paying that tab. Yep. Now, that tab goes up, as we're saying. That tab goes up when all of a sudden you realize you're missing soccer games or you realize you're missing holidays or you realize that you know your relationships are gen- genuinely suffering. It's leading to divorces and all kinds of horrible things. Sure. On top of that, you start to realize that that ambition comes at the cost of your health. There's nothing healthy about what we do, right? No. I mean, we have to do everything possible to like actively bring our health back just in order to kind of operate the way that we do, which kind of says a lot, right? And so at some point, you know, I've given you stories, Ryan, where I've said my heart stopped, quite literally. At some point, you're like, fuck this, right? It's just not worth it anymore. Yeah. And I think we get to a point where once we start to see what those costs actually are, it's really hard to say, but that's okay. It is. And I, I think, again, like we, we, we go back to this concept of the, the uncharted waters. And when you begin to have the realization that the cost of the ambition is known, the return of the ambition becomes far, far less clear, right? Because, again, we move further into those uncharted waters, the outcomes become less and less clear. Go, go back to your example with Jeff and Meg, right? Like, you would have thought that, you know, they were still in charge waters. They knew what they were doing. Their ambition would carry that company to guaranteed success, right? And yet it didn't, right? Whether they knew that at the time or not, right? They, they know now. It's, it's the kind of thing where that sacrifice becomes larger and larger. And the certainty of some ROI on that becomes less and less clear. And I think that's where it starts to get even more painful. Ryan, imagine almost game show style. At the beginning of your quest, <laughs> at the beginning of your ambitious quest, yeah. someone could say to you, here's what you get to choose from. And they say, Ryan, you can have your dream home here, but it will cost you two divorces. You can have the car of your dreams, but you'll never have seen one of your kids' uh, soccer games. Yeah. C- could you imagine having that deliberate of, the, of a decision, because that's really what we're talking about. That's yeah. what does end up happening. Right. But if you front-loaded it and say, you can have that, but you have to have that, how many people would be like, oh, God, no. Like, yeah, that, that car or that house sounds wonderful, but I don't, like, I have to not see my kid? Like, what? Right, but, but, but hold on a second. That's in the situation where you're guaranteeing them that thing. I, I'm saying that the outcome still isn't guaranteed, right? We're beyond that point where we are sure that ambition pays us back. There, there is not a certainty in that investment. At some point, when we get further and further into these uncharted waters, the sacrifice becomes more and more of a gamble and less and less of a certainty. Like we've said this before, you can hustle yourself to a certain point. You can hustle yourself to a $150,000 job 
I don't care where you came from, who you are, you can hustle yourself to that level of income, right? You can't hustle yourself to, to 10 billion, right? You got it. Other things have to happen, right? You just, the, the certainty goes away, right? And I think that's a big part of, for me at least, the realization around not just the cost, but that I wasn't even sure that spending it was going to bring anything back to me beyond what I already had and maybe would cost me what I already had. That was where it got really sharp for me. Okay, so so let's play that out. I think the tricky thing about assessing the ROI, saying is the sacrifice worth it, is by definition, it's always stuff you don't have. Yeah. Right? You know, so like we were talking about the, 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 our BMW experiences and we were saying like how wonderful it was to when we first got those things. Well, it was wonderful when we first got them, but we also didn't have them up until that point. So we had this mythical idea of what it would be like to have those things. But if anybody were to say, Ryan, Will, you guys have to go through the same amount of sacrifice and the same bullshit you went through the first time in order to get one again? Hell no. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that last, uh, oh gosh, maybe three episodes ago uh, about, you know, I sold my company, now what do I do? And that so many people do restart one and, and chase that other one. And, and it's funny because that the, the hesitance, because there's always that, like, do I really want to start this again? Because at that point, you do know what it costs, right? You do know what it'll take. I think there's, there's also the sense that, like, well, I'll probably be better at it this time. Not always true. We can reference the, the case study that we've referenced three times already again here. Um, just because you've done it before doesn't mean you can do it again. But I think that's exactly it, right? You now know the cost and the sacrifice and what goes into achieving those things. And you may be unwilling to do it. But but outside of that, like so let's just say we're we're still in this moment, right? We're not, we're not, we haven't exited, we haven't done anything else. We're still like we're just pushing and pushing and pushing. At what point do we get to a stage where the uncertainty of that ROI starts to outweigh that thing that we that, that we we may have wanted, right? Like maybe we we recognize the cost. Like I want to add another product to this. We know that's gonna that's gonna add, let's say, X millions of dollars in cost and two to three years of development and then marketing and then adjusting that product, right? And, and these are the types of decisions you and I make all the time. Right. And it's at some point, you know, you get to like saying like, well, do we really want to add three years to the timeline to this for something that we're uncertain about what the payback on that's going to be? I think that, like I said, if it's stuff that we can't assess, like we don't have it yet, we don't have the dream home, then we can always as ascribe more ROI or more potential value to it. Sure. Right. I mean, I think it's just the nature of humans. Like we always think that next thing is going to have way more value than it ever actually does when we get it. But here's where it gets interesting. Once you had that BMW, how much harder are you willing to work for that Bentley or that Bugatti at the next level, right? Like, in other words, it's significantly more expensive, right? Like exponentially more expensive. But once you get it, are you going to feel anywhere near, you know, that much better at that point? Yeah, I've always kind of held that really once you get a few of the big kind of nice things and you know your version of nice can be whatever it is the next thing is just stop mattering and what sucks is we're willing to work so hard or so much to try to recapture that first experience that by the way just never happens 
because we keep thinking it's going to be as amazing as that first time we got a nice car, the first time we bought a house, et cetera. And it just kind of can't be because you're no longer replacing the lack of anything. You're just incrementally getting a little bit more and it never pays off. Yeah. I mean, going from zero to one is the big step, right? It's that, Correct. It's that, that the binary move from there. It's, it's incremental. Um, and as you said, like the, the, the cost is typically exponential. The change in terms of the enjoyment or the satisfaction tends to be incremental, right? So you're, you're, you're trading exponential costs for incremental gains. Um, doesn't sound like a great investment, does it? Well, we, we went through that. Ryan, when, when we were doing that, that whole house shopping expedition, right? Yeah, yeah. We ended up finding a house that day, <laughs> ironically, like four doors down from Elon Musk, which sounds like, oh my God, you're in the same neighborhood as Elon Musk. It's a mile and a half away just based on his property line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, I, I think this would have been like his smallest garage on the property by comparison. So like, they just I, I don't want this to sound like I'm at anywhere near that guy's level. But when finding this place, and it was, it was a really nice place, and we needed to get out of our other house because again, we didn't have any more room. And my wife and I, we sat down. And we talked about this, and this was such a seminal moment around everything we're talking about. And we said, okay, if we get this place, we'll have a little more room, be able to keep the same school district. Uh, It's only 10 minutes away, so it's a relatively small move, et cetera. Significantly more expensive, unfortunately, everything there is, but is it worth it? And so we started to go through that mental exercise Mm. of, is it worth it? Is the ROI of what's essentially, you know, more debt, more sacrifice to get that worth it? And in the end, we couldn't come up with a single reason why it was worth it. Now, now, here's the weird thing, man. We could afford to do it. It would have been meaningful money to us. I, I, I don't want to you know, pretend like, again, like, like I've got unlimited amounts of cash. It, it would have been a significant jump for us financially. And we could afford to do it, but we didn't want to. Because ultimately, we realized it just wasn't worth it. Like the ROI on creating you know, more sacrifice to get that thing it's like, what are we going to do there that we're not doing already? We're going to order Uber Eats and we're going to sit at home and watch Netflix, right? <laughs> Whether we're doing a smaller yeah, right. house or a bigger house, yeah. literally our lives aren't going to change whatsoever. And that's why when I explained kind of at the, at the beginning of this episode, why I was like, can't have it doesn't matter. Because already in the back of my head before my wife, even I started having that conversation, I started to think, you know what? Like, I'm not sure it matters anymore. And I got to tell you, it's not because we made ungodly amounts of money it's because at some point, the incremental ROI of having that next thing actually doesn't pay off. Like, there's just a numb feeling attached to it. Yeah. And you get to a point where, like, you know what? Okay, I can have that next thing, and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a really interesting follow-up feeling to that, uh, which is you do make those sacrifices. You do put in the extra work. You do stretch yourself thinner. You do all the things it takes to get that thing. And then you have that numbness. And there was a lot of regret then around that. Because then, then you can really balance the accounts and say, this absolutely wasn't worth it. You know, I, I consider myself really fortunate. Part of this is, is, you know, having achieved and gotten some of the things that I've wanted from life. There are still things that I want to achieve. But I've noticed that a lot of those have started to shift to things that I want to see happen, not necessarily things that I want to have. Right. And as, as I look at our business, for example, and, and the time that I do sacrifice in those moments where I do have to decide between, am I going to be at the desk for another hour and a half? Or am I going to spend an extra 45 minutes reading to the girls tonight? And I look at the sacrifices and I say, sometimes I say, yes, and I'm like, I am going to make that sacrifice. It has 
nothing to do with my desire to have something. It has everything to do with the desire to continue to build what we're building. And I get what a fortunate position that is to be in, right? If you don't have anything and you, you still lack like basics in life, um, right. If you're going from no car to, to any car, that's so it's a big step. Right. If you're going from not having a house to having your house, it's a big step. You know, we've we've checked most of those boxes. And so I, I do get that I'm, I'm speaking from a very fortunate position um, to be able to say that when I look at sacrifice now, I'm measuring it against a very different outcome. Right. It's less about a thing. And and it's it's more about something I want to chase down, something I want to see exist in the world. And that feels pretty good. But and here's the thing, though. But now you know the cost, right? 100%. I, I think, and that's a big part of what we're talking about here. You start to realize that you've got three basic levers in all of this. At, at its core, you have everything comes with conditions, yep. right? And there's certain conditions you cannot replicate, right? Just because you want to be Mark Zuckerberg doesn't mean shit. If you want to be the head of your class in high school or, or college, yes. If you want to be a partner at your law firm, yes. You can ambition your way to that. There are certain thresholds where your ambition alone is 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 wonderful as it, it sounds to talk about, just isn't enough. Like that, that only take you so far. Yep. The second part, the second lever, and I think this comes with time, is what cost are we willing to endure to see that ambition through? And there are costs. Let's face it, actually aren't worth it. Right. If you're talking about your health, forget about it. If you're not around yeah. long enough to see the outcome, then who cares, right? <laughs> exactly. But if we're talking about family, if we're talking about you know uh, peace of mind, all these things, at some point, it's not worth risking those costs. You know, as much as I want to promote people to, to being founders, I want them to do it in a way that doesn't ruin their lives in the process, right? And I know you feel the same way about that. And but that last lever is, and I think a lot of people just don't get this until later on. At some point, it actually doesn't matter. At some yeah. point, if you already have a sweet house, you don't need a more sweet house. You can convince yourself that you do, and that's more ego than reason, but it doesn't mean that you do. And so I think people are like, well, I'm not more ambitious if I don't want more. Maybe, but I look at it kind of a different way. I look at it as if my ambition is allowing me to accomplish these things, and I accomplish them, and I don't know what the fuck to do with them, then what was the point right. of being ambitious to begin with? Absolutely, man. So you know, if you're listening to this right now, we're not saying don't be ambitious. And we're not saying that there are artificial limits on, on what you can accomplish. What we're saying is be aware that there are sort of these three levers that kind of control outcomes. And just be aware of the cost and the benefit of how you align those levers. And, and think about what it is that really starts to matter to you. And just build your business in a way that isn't all cost to you, right? Be a founder. Be a sustainable founder. Is that a thing, Will? Is that a phrase yet? Sustainable founder? <laughs> let's hope it is. Let's hope so. And if it's not, like, let's, let's make it one. Let's be more sustainable founders, right? Let's, let's be people who, who get what they want from life, but let's be realistic about what it is that we need and want. And let's not find ourselves simply just being ambitious and running for the sake of running. I know I've found myself in that situation more than once where I was still just at maximum pace simply because I'd been at maximum pace and inertia kept me there without any real thought on my part. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. 
You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. 